Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with Gail Clichy. Before we introduce today's guest, we do want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England clothing brands strive to provide premium aesthetic, fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. Probably a lot of what it is that you do will go unnoticed by many, but the ones that do notice, you know, they'll probably will thank you for it. Um, and I think you've got to be prepared to almost be that, that I call it coaching in the shadows. You know, don't, you know, don't think that you're going to be put on a pedestal. Don't think you're going to be put in the limelight and how amazing, you know, everyone's going to tell you that you are. You need to have that, that genuine kind of uh, intrinsic desire to just want to help knowing that some people might not even recognise it for years to come. We're excited to welcome Dr. Noel Dempsey onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Noel is a UEFA licensed coach and is currently a lecturer in football coaching and management at the University Campus of Football Business. Noel is an experienced coach educator and coach who shares his gold dust with us today. Noel Dempsey, my dear friend, or should I say Dr. Noel Dempsey, welcome. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, David, for having me. It's a uh, yeah, real pleasure. Real, real pleasure. Thank you. It's The pleasure will be all ours, I'm sure. So, Noel, let's, let's sort of deep dive, go straight into the into what we're what we're here to do and that's to delve a little deeper into into you and what your life's about but before we actually do that we, we have a question that we ask every single guest and that is to us goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good what does goldust mean to you yeah no it's uh it, it's a it's a great question and obviously having listened to so many of the 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 podcast episodes um and certainly over the last kind of week or so when the kids have been kind of going down and listening in. Um, it's something I've thought long and hard about, I'll be honest. And and I think for me, Gold Dust is about creating those memorable moments. Um, and whether those memorable moments are for me as a coach or as a person to kind of push me on to try new things or just kind of generate new ideas and new concepts. Or if it's in my case, being a coach, trying to create memorable kind of moments for others to get them to... I guess, think and reflect back around, okay, what did that mean for them and how it might influence their their ideas, their practice, or it might just influence their outlook on, on how they see something. And I think that concept of kind of it being memorable can hopefully, you know, positively influence their future practice or their future ideas or their future thoughts. So, yeah, that's kind of what I thought about when uh, I'm thinking about gold dust. Well, Noel, can you share with us what your formative years were like in football and then how those experiences shaped an opportunity for you to go into coach education. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my formative years in, in football were very unspectacular, to be honest. I was a, a, an average or an average grassroots player, <laughs> but uh, a, a kid and a, and a young man that just, you know, loved playing, you know, from, you know, East London originally where, 
I was very fortunate to have a really good set of friends where we we spent a lot of time, you know, playing, whether it was in the park, whether it was in the cages, whether we were just out in, in the street playing. Um, and that kind of just fostered a, a genuine love for, for the game and what playing the game meant for us as, as kids and as, as young adults, you know, being together, being, you know, with one another. Um, and, and I was very fortunate, you know, a lot of my friends were extremely good players. They were all a part of the academy systems. And I, you know, you realise early that you're probably never going to, you know, make that. And I was quite comfortable with that. Um, but I did have this kind of insatiable passion for for the game, but also for my friends. And I guess, you know, backgrounds create, you know, what you, what you value later on in life uh, and the experiences that you had. And I was very fortunate in that sense to be able to do that. Um, I guess where it kind of takes me up to at the moment is, you know, wanting to, I guess, offer and present some of, some of those experiences that I had to to children that I now coach. Um, and also, you know, as a, as a coach educator, I guess, in different spaces in my current context at, at university, to be able to inform kind of young people about their responsibility of creating, you know, positive experiences for people, you know, little people and, and big people, whoever you coach. And, and I think that's really, really important now. Um, I live my life by just trying to make people better. And that's because I've been fortunate enough and lucky enough to have people in my world that have enabled me to become better. So, yeah, those, those years when I think back to being a kid with my friends and then also the influential people that have helped me along the way in the game as well as, you know, in other spaces has led me to this point, really, to, to want to kind of give back, to want to help other people more broadly. Yeah, I've been knowing you for a few years now, and all I get that because you are very, you're very giving to people, very sincere and very honest. You know, there's a sincerity there that goes beyond any equal. So, I can I do I resonate very much with and to your your answer to David's question. But how did your coaching career begin? Could you just give us yeah. a tour of where that all started? Yeah, no, um, it, it actually started quite quite late, to be honest. Um, it was actually when I finished my my master's degree. So I, I was kind of 21 going on 22. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, go to university up in the Northwest, um, but returned back to London um, and was training to be a, a teacher. And I'd kind of played football throughout university and was probably at a time when my body was a bit broken. I was doing a lot of running and, and played different sports and I'd suffered so many injuries that I was like, oof, I'm not sure if I can keep doing this. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be involved, you know, I wanted to be involved in the game and I thought coaching was was a really good way to go. Um, I actually completed my level one up in the Northwest, um, but I hadn't really given much thought to it. Uh, so actually it was through uh, a friend who kind of put me in contact with a set of coaches that worked for their like themselves, their own company. And I just went along one day and said, look, I'd really like to come and help. You know, I, I live around the corner. Um, you know, am I able to? And they were incredibly welcoming, um, incredibly giving of their insight and, and of their time. And one of the, the coaches were, was an ex-professional player. Um, but he had a genuine care for the kids. And, and that, that just, again, really hit home to me uh, about going back to East London looking after a lot of these kids that if they weren't in playing football with us and being coached by us, they were probably out doing other stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And I know that because I was one of those kids. Um, so it got to a stage where I just became a sponge from from the coaches and learning. And as I said, they were so 
so authentic about what they were there to do and what they felt they could do and what they couldn't. And and that really, it opened my eyes a little bit that we can't be everything, you know, as coaches. We, we try our best to offer what we can, but they would bounce ideas off of one another. They would say, do you know what? You need to go with, you know, so-and-so tonight because actually you don't need, need me tonight. So you're going to go up to age groups, but actually you need the coach. You don't need the age groups. You need the coach today because of how you're feeling or the, the day that you've had. And they were so adaptive, so flexible around what the kids were going through. And I got a real kind of, I guess, informal coach education from that really, really quickly. And I was incredibly lucky to experience that, you know, for, for kind of a solid two years, um, as well as being taken into spaces like academy spaces in London. We'd go and play academy teams as well, which for somebody who had little to no experience of of coaching was a real eye-opener. You know, it was my first insight into academy football when we take teams, you know, to go and play. And then the conversations that academy coaches would, would have with us afterwards. And again, very giving of their time. So I started to kind of get a real buzz from it. I guess kind of fast forwarding, I, you know, became a teacher. Uh, I then left England and I lived in Australia. I was very lucky to you know, work at Sydney University as a as a as a football coach for their their women's provision, um, as assistant coach to the first team and then head coach to the reserve team, and that was the first time that I really had my own team, and the girls were wonderful. They were absolutely amazing, but they stuck it on me a lot, uh, and then it became an incredibly rewarding but challenging time in my life where you know everything was on me. You know, I had to you know improve performances. We had to win games. I uh, had to push players up into the first team. And I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. You know, even when, you know, I had to, you know, make some really tough calls or have really, you know, difficult conversations. I, I loved all of it. So, yeah, returning back to to, to England, uh, you know, I didn't spend much time in London. I came up to, to Manchester, which now is kind of touching on 11 years ago. Um, and I've worked for uh, a number of academies in, in the Northwest, uh, as well as being quite lucky to work full-time in... Uh, in football from a head of education role and then was really lucky and fortunate enough to become a, a, a tutor obviously where you know you and I met first met Keith uh, and also a, a coach mentor um, obviously uh, I've done, did that for a, for a number of years and then it's come to my my current role which is a, a Manchester City football club um, which is a part-time role I work there as a development centre coach in what's called their, their selects provision um and and i love it you know this is now going into my fourth season at, at city uh i get to work with some really good players really good grassroots players who you know we look to develop and, and improve um and the, and the club are great you know they, they give me loads of space and to, to kind of work and do what i do so yeah it complements my my role as a as a university lecturer i get to try things i get to speak to the boys so i'm, I'm incredibly fortunate incredibly lucky to have those experiences uh up to up to this point well, my dad mentioned at the start of the interview, Dr. Noel Dempsey, you recently completed a PhD. Can you discuss what that subject and tell us what that subject um, and what your research was on? Yeah, so I guess in its simplest form, um, I wanted to uh, look at the area of, of coach education and more specifically coach education within grassroots football in, in England. Um, and I was very fortunate enough that a project came up uh, that was with Liverpool John Moores in, in association with the English Football Association. And I explored, I guess, the the creation, dissemination and reproduction of, of coach education courses um, at the grassroots level. So at the time, namely the level one and level two, 
the names have changed now. It's introduction to coaching football and, and UEFA C uh, as as they are now. And and I guess the the role to really understand how these courses came to be. Um, to take a step back from what happens on the course initially and look at how these courses had been created, how they'd been developed, um, why they were developed in, in such a way. So what was the pedagogical approach? What was the content that was included? How did they envisage uh, the role of coach developers? You know, what was some of the assessment like? So it was a really kind of broad project for me to kind of, I guess, navigate and kind of pick and choose what went on from there. Um, incredibly challenging, but also kind of in, incredibly rewarding uh, <laughs> at the same time. So... Yeah, that's a kind of whistle-stop tour of what it was. Just let's stick to that subject a little bit there now. What what are the complexities that surround coaching and coach education? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're two different questions, right? <laughs> um, you know, coaching in itself, as we deal with that first, is, is, is an incredibly complex endeavour, you know, because you're dealing with human beings. You know, I think we often get lost in the sport, um, you know, if we think primarily about football in, in this instance, you know, you're, you're coaching football, yes, but actually you're coaching little human beings how to play football. And human beings are complex beings, you know, they're, they're complex creatures. And we have to know know about them, we have to understand them as individuals, but also how they react in terms of social space. We have to be aware of what our context is. So, you know, if we speak specifically about kind of the grassroots context, it's very much participatory domain, it's recreational I would hope that the the guiding principles of that domain is things around you know safe, engaging, fun, um, positive experiences that we're able to develop as coaches. And we're asking coaches, and we're expected to coach to achieve those broader aims. And that's really difficult when you consider individualization, when you consider the the psychological, the sociological impacts of what coaching does to people. And then we bring the complexity of what the game is, you know, and, you know, we talk about and there's a lot of information out there about, you know, the technical demands of the game and the tactical kind of all the different tactics and strategies that goes into it. And it all amalgamates in this big melting pot that we've now got to somehow decipher, make sense of plan, deliver, review, you know, nice and neatly. And the reality is that just doesn't doesn't happen. I guess the second part in terms of coach education the challenge for coach education is to educate coaches in all of that stuff. So it's an incredibly difficult space to have to try and create a provision, a formal set of kind of courses or developing CPDs that are able to educate people within that complexity. And I do, I have, you know, uh, real empathy for, for people who are designing courses um, because you come up with questions like, well, what do we include? How do we include it? At what point do we, you know, to what depth do we include certain detail? At what depth, depth do we give them space? How much space do we give them? Why? Against what parameters? So straight away, you know, you're, you're having to kind of really decipher something that nobody's got the answer to yet. You know, nobody's fixed on this is what coaching is. This is how you do it. And, you know, let's just copy and paste so everyone's a success story. It's not the reality of what it is because, that's not the reality of how we as human beings kind of develop and, and live our lives. We're all very individualistic. Some of us go on to do things that we feel is successful. Other thing, other people consider success in, in other areas. Um, and that's what makes it so, so difficult. So, yeah, it's a great challenge, right? But something that certainly I think we still can do a lot better in. 
If you had to write a checklist in priority order of how to develop a coach education program, what would yeah. be on your list? Yeah, well, that, that is a question. <laughs> that is a question. Um, if I think about it from uh, the, the real reality of what it is, we, we have to understand what the needs and demands are of the game in a particular context. And that means we need to understand the needs and demands of the people that occupy those spaces within a particular domain. Uh, and again, my, my research went back to more coaching in grassroots and participatory format. So I've, I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about, about that space. And in order to understand the needs and the demands, we have to ask, you know, when, when you're talking about a critical kind of checklist and what the priority is, we have to know what people need. We have to know what the game currently looks like at that level. And we also have to understand how we can help from opinions, experiences that previous people have had. And now without those, you know, I'm, and I'm talking about the good stuff as well as the bad and the really ugly stuff as well. We need all of it. We can't just always rely on, on the good news stories and continue to do that stuff. We have to understand the parameters and the difficulties and the constraints that people have so that we can offer different solutions. Um, and those solutions might work for some and it might not work for others, but we, we have to really have that breadth of information before we can kind of start creating anything. Um, I guess once we have that understanding of the demands, we also then have to have an understanding of what the purpose is of that domain. So what is the overarching purpose of grassroots football in, in, in my sense? Well, it, it's to create safe, fun, engaging, you know, positive experiences for all. Um, in my opinion. So we have to marry up the needs and the demands with what the purpose is of that sphere. Once we have that, we can then begin begin to understand, okay, how far can we stretch education within the current parameters and constraints that we have? And, and I speak about that a lot broader in the sense of, and, and it pains me to say it, but finance runs a lot of what, what coach education does. It runs the world. You know, we can speak kind of ideologically from the perspective of like, we'd love a level one to last two weeks and we'd love to get them in on two week courses, but people haven't got that time. They haven't got that space. So you're then having to navigate what time can we, can they give us as maybe coach educators or, or course designers? What, what can we give them in that time? How much can we give them in that time? That's going to offer the most impact in that moment. So I think those three things initially is to understand the demands and the needs, understand the context and understand what the parameters and the constraints are. That's how, for me, you begin to build a system of coach education because without that, you're just becoming very assumptive. Now, we can assume certain things that may be true collectively, but there's so much nuance to coaching, so much nuance to contexts that we can't always assume that everybody's going to you know, fit into that little space just because we put it up on a PowerPoint slide or just because we show something on the pitch. You know, we, we might need to kind of really get to know the nuances of the demands or the nuances of the, the struggles that they go through. Um, so they'd probably be the three things initially when, when thinking about coach education and, and the system. Okay, so coach education, quite a, an intricate and detailed response and reply to David's previous question. Yeah. Uh, what, in your opinion, does it take to become a good coach? Yeah. Um, I think there has to be a genuine love and care for what it is that you do. You know, I, I think we need to recognise very quickly that as 
by taking on the role of coach or support coach or whoever that you are becoming responsible for other people and you are becoming responsible for their experiences that can influence them you know throughout their lives uh, and i and i always think back about the influences of of you know my coaches and and certain teachers in the world and i've been very fortunate in that not always had good teachers and not always had good coaches and i'm sure that's the same for many people but the ones that that i have i've been very fortunate to have them and in all those people the, the i guess the common traits that they had were things that they genuinely cared about you and they had a love for what it is that they were doing and they understood their space. You know, a PE teacher was a PE teacher. They weren't trying to teach you maths. And you had a good maths teacher that was trying to you know, get you enthused with mathematics. And you were brilliant. And, and I think that carries into that love and care and having that enthusiasm for what it is you do. And I think I, I talk about it with coaches where if you aren't prepared to be really cold, wet, soaked through, and still have a great time, then you're going to be okay. If you don't envisage that you're going to have a good time while you're, you know, absolutely drenched frozen while being privileged by the way to wear a coat because the kids often often aren't wearing coats then probably coaching isn't for you especially in the northwest so you know <laughs> it, it rains up here more than the, the sun so you've got to be kind of really engaged with knowing your environment and knowing what you're going into and also knowing that probably a lot of what it is that you do will go unnoticed by many but the ones that do notice you know they'll probably will thank you for it um and I think you've got to be prepared to almost be that, that I call it coaching in the shadows. You know, don't, you know, don't think that you're going to be put on a pedestal. Don't think you're going to be put in the limelight and how amazing, you know, everyone's going to tell you that you are. You need to have that, that genuine kind of uh, intrinsic desire to just want to help knowing that some people might not even recognize it for years to come. Um, and I think if you can do that, you're always going to be a good coach. Um, the other side of it is, yes, you need to know practice design. You need to know, you know, some details as you go. But there are things, I think, that are, are learned rather than actually having particular traits and characteristics. Not that you can't develop those, you can. But, yeah, I, I would say without those things, without that, I guess, that air of uh, that being honest with yourself and, and having that authenticity about why you're wanting to do it and who you're wanting to do it for, because... And I've said this previously, you know, we, we're, we're servants. That's what we are. We serve other people. It's it's a role where, you know, everybody else in terms of the players and, and the parent, they'll, they'll go and get all their accolades and that's what you want. And, you know, the very next year when they're no longer with you or they move on to other things, you've got another set of people that are looking at you and going, okay, come on, what, what are you going to give me? Um, and I think that's something that we've got to be prepared to to recognize in ourselves or at least try to develop in ourselves. Otherwise, yeah, coaching is not for you. Off the back of that, what does success look like in coaching for you? Yeah, for me, it's it's trying to give the people that I, I work with in terms of players and, and parents and other stakeholders just really good experiences as, as much as possible because I've been quite lucky now and where it's not lucky because I'm getting older, I'm getting grumpier. But I've seen, you know, kids that I had at 12 who are now 15 and now 23, 24. And these are these are young men and young women who, who have lives. And it's great to be able to still touch base with them and, and find out how wonderful their worlds are. And I'm not saying wonderful in terms of successes and monies, just, just how happy they are in their life. 
and that you could maybe play a really small part in that. But that starts at seven, eight, nine, you know, those those really kind of formative years where you get to engage with those little people and the parents and hopefully educate the parents as much as you can and offer advice where it may be want, excuse me, where it may be wanted. Um, sometimes where it's not, but you might have to have difficult conversations. And I think our responsibility is to do that. And I think by developing these little people, you want to instill good qualities in these people as human beings, as, as you know, to be able to go away and the next coach that they have, you know, they're they're polite and they're they're engaging because they know that regardless of whether or not that coach might be good, better, worse, different, they respect the fact that you're stood in front of them trying to help. So that's what I think for me success is just trying to help people become better people and using the game of football to, to do that really. Well, coach education or an involvement in either formal or experiential development of, as you put it, little people. Mm. And uh, I've got a, an understanding of what you mean by little people. You don't have to be very tall, but you're talking about young, young children at times. But what, in your opinion, are the, the essential components that should be included in a comprehensive coach educational curriculum that actually embraces everything that you've shared so far in regards to having fun. It's got to be led by what the need is of that game. And it's obviously contextual, of course. It all is very different. Hmm. So go on, share with us. What does that curriculum look like? Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's, it's actually something that I, that I wrote about and it's something that I'm currently hopefully going to write about and think that I think when when, when coming onto any course, and, I, and I'm talking about face-to-face courses here, slightly different with online, and I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about that <laughs> um, soon, but I would like to think coaches that are coming onto courses w- would have the time and the space to explore meaningful topics to them. Uh, and what I mean by that is that coach educators, coach developers, tutors, whatever you want to call them, are afforded through the design of a course, afforded that time to say, okay, come on, tell us about your coaching. Tell us about your environment. You know, what's going on? What do you need help with? Why do you need help with it? And just generating that that critical, honest, authentic set of conversations with the people so that we can get to know one another as coaches, you know, because coach developers are coaches too. You know, we, we're just trying to, help those coaches get better for the purpose of the players but giving them that time genuine time and space to carry on a conversation um and make those conversations critical and and turn them into debates because one thing that i would like to see more of in in coaching is even within your spheres within your circles within your networks to stick it on one another a little bit more be critical of one another well, why did you pick that you know, you know, I love you to bits, Keith, but actually, why did you do it that way? Because actually, I've seen it done this way, and I think it worked. Why Why did you do it that way? And it's that kind of positive challenge. And I think coaching courses that I've been part of as a learner, as well as a, as a, as a coach and coach developer, uh, have enabled some aspect of that. I would just like to see more because the people that are coming on these courses, they're not, they're not silly. Like we talk about them as novice coaches, but these people, you know, Luckily, they manage to function in society. You know, they have jobs, they have families, they navigate the world pretty well. And at times we probably don't give those people enough credit to actually sit down and have really good conversations. 
at the same time, when we're talking about components, we, we recognize that we have to include some content. And I would say at times there has to be some prescriptive content. And that prescriptive content might just be reinforcing things around health and safety. It might be reinforcing ideas around how we might choose to speak to our players, you know, age, age relevant, how we might want to engage with parents because parents are part of that. You know, the coaching doesn't just happen on, on the pitch. You know, it happens as they arrive and, and while they're leaving. And when you get to match day early and you're chatting to the parents, all of that is entwined in this concept of coaching, in my opinion. So we have to wrap around some content around these critical conversations and present them with ideas. But I think at times content doesn't always have to be immediate. You know, I think we have to, as coach developers, be comfortable to go, do you know what, that's a really good point. There's actually a book that I read or there was an article that I saw the other day. I'd love to ping it on the group or I'd love to kind of send it to you to read and maybe we, that can, you know, start a conversation next time we're all together. Um, and I think that's powerful because it's you as a, as a coach or a coach developer using your your ability to listen and, and observe and I guess read the room and go, do you know what, I, I think that's a really good idea. Can we go and explore it now outside and let them lead? And, and I think the component ultimately is that it should be driven by the learners. And because ultimately it's for them. These courses are for them. They're not for us as coach developers. They're not as for us in terms of you know lecturers in, in, in a university setting to just blow out a load of content on the slide and go, right, see you later. It's it's you know, we've got to help them, you know, untangle their world a little bit. And I think once we by the way, it takes a lot for coach developers to be able to do that, by the way. You know, you've got to be a really comfortable, you've got to be really comfortable, with, I guess, with uncertainty because you have no idea what types of answers are coming up and some of the answers you might not be equipped with and you've got to be humble enough, authentic enough to turn around and go, I don't know. I really don't know that answer, but you know what? It's a great question. And actually I'm going to, I'm going to go away for a little bit now, or I'm going to go and find something for you. And hopefully we can pick the conversation up next time if that's okay. No, let me, let me just ask, sorry for interrupting there, but what lets you know when to ask? What lets you know when not? You ask. What lets you know to either be silent? Hmm. What lets you know when to actually come up with a little, if you like it, a nugget of information or of content? Because of you, you've already alluded to it early on. Uh, whatever coaching is, I, I've been in this space a long time, four decades plus, a couple of years. Yeah, and I I still don't know what it is. Yeah. So timing, hmm. timing particularly, but what lets us know when? What what is it about that timing that you go? Hang on, I'll, I'll, it'll be the space between the no. I don't need to say anything here at the moment. Yeah. But what lets us know when to actually go? Now is the time. Yeah, I, I think I I learned stuff like that as a teacher, and I, again I, I call them. Uh, pedagogic moments it comes from author uh called um john van manning um and he talk, talks about these these kind of pedagogical moments and uh you're right he said it might be saying nothing at all that actually makes the moment really impactful and everybody else saying what they're saying is the impact it might be that you just respond and reply in a really positive manner to go do you know what i never thought about it like that and then ask the question of following on how else can we think about this now and just get them to open up. At times, it might be that the question's asked to the room and you have to be really comfortable with silence. Don't look to me for the answers. I don't know. I've got a answer. 
I don't know if it's the answer. Um, if you want to hear an answer from me, from my perspective, fine. But I want to know what your perspective is and why. And the big one in coaching for me is understanding the why a little bit more. You know, and we, we'll talk, we'll call them novice coaches if they're coming in at level one. Not necessarily doesn't make them novice people. But it is encouraging them to understand their why. You know, understanding why they do what they do, getting them to reflect on it, which again, reflection is incredibly difficult. It's a word that's bounded around a lot for the last couple of decades in, in coach education. But what reflection truly is, I'm still not quite sure in coaching space or whether or not we do it very well. I'm not convinced I do it very well still because it carries emotions. It carries feelings. It carries preconceived ideas of what you've seen or what you've done and what they are is they're so ingrained at times and are you prepared to actually go that deep into your process to go I need to change something that I'm aware of is really ingrained because ultimately I don't think it's working for the other people that I'm meant to be helping you know i.e the players and and those things I think are big on courses and as you said Keith you have to time them quite right you do it a lot better than I do having worked with you um you, I'm, you know, sat sat there, kind of looking around, going, "He's going to say something in a minute," and then you never do. So, um, but it has a moment, it has an impact, it has that pedagogic moment of going, and everyone goes, "Oh, I need to write that down." Or actually, and you can see it going on in their head that they're going, "Oh, this is probably something I really need to think about now." And it's great, it's wonderful, and I think it's it's encouraging coaches to be okay in that space. You know, we don't have to be amazing at everything we don't have to know everything we, we can't we can't possibly know everything um so yeah that's i'm not sure if it answered your question <laughs> no it gives a perspective yeah uh yeah mostly the information's on the outside of us i think mm. what we're going to be is mostly more skillful in actually drawing out because it isn't for us years ago i used to think as it was it was about me and in front and standing and but in actual fact, it isn't. It's about them. It's about the coaches. It's about those people that are out there working with the little people or even the big people. Yeah. And helping to create people. magic for them. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, interesting interesting answer for sure. Well, Noel, how do you envision integrating real-world coaching experiences and mentorship into educational programs to enhance the learning process? That's uh that's an easy one, Matt, David. No, I'm joking. It's not. It's uh, it's it's incredibly again. It's it's difficult. I think everything when we're talking about coaching and coach education is incredibly difficult. I think we have to go back to the experiences. For me, you know, uh, you know that that time and space to explore moments is are so imperative in the learning process. You know, we have to recognize what experience people have already had how that has begun to shape them as people and, and then subsequently as coaches, because I think it's really hard to separate you as a person to you as a coach. I think that comes back to recognizing that we need to be authentic in what we do, you know, how I, how I speak and how I behave is across the board um, because that's, that's who I am. And I, we need to encourage coaches to do that and, you know, get them to understand some of, ex some of the experiences that they've had in coaching, whether that be over four weeks, four months, four years, whatever it might've been, and how that's begun to shape them a little bit, 
you know what parts of the learning process do they really kind of engage with from those experiences you know i they might have done a practice that once upon a time was amazing so their practice design now becomes very similar a similar process because it worked once upon a time and you go brilliant i love that how can i now help you with that to engage you with adaptations or engage you with progressing practices or actually getting you to think that what is practice you know your third practice might be your first practice because actually we don't need to wait to, to for that point we can start again but it's getting them to value those experiences and not just live them and forget about them um that i'm, I'm massive on that that how can we use those experiences to build the big one when you obviously you mentioned kind of integrating real world experiences and mentoring Me- mentor is an incredibly difficult one because i i think mentoring is one of the most potentially powerful things that you can have as a coach have a mentor as a coach the problem is where are they all now they are potentially all around you they might be people that you say hello to every week when you turn up to your club but you've just never really engaged with them we tend to see it more in this country over the last maybe five or six years from a formal perspective um so i again i was incredibly fortunate enough to be a coach mentor for the FA while they ran that provision more broadly across grassroots football. And I was taken aback, you know, I, it was, it's amazing just going out watching what these, what these coaches do, you know, for free in their, you know, between their busy lives, between their work, between their own families, just so that they can engage kids with a game that we all, we all love. The issue becomes when that formal provision gets taken away, who do these people turn to? And unfortunately, we're in a space at the moment where we're almost asking the coaches to go and do that by themselves, to go and find people. And that's really difficult. It's really hard. Now, there are mediums, you know, such as obviously this podcast that that offers coaches at times some real insights and gets them to think. But it's really hard to replace somebody that may have been by your side or standing across the sideline, you know, giving you a thumbs up when you may be going through a difficult moment. That's really hard to replace, um, but it's so imperative in my opinion. So I think when we're talking about mentoring, I think it's almost a challenge now for coaches, but maybe a challenge that you go, okay, well, maybe engage with someone that you maybe haven't never engaged with before. Um, an example that I, that I I guess I could give was, you know, pretty much this time last year, I was a little bit fed up of of the game. And I was fed up of the game because I was having the same conversations with coaches and with players and not fed up with anybody, just fed up with myself. And I was like, I need to speak to new people here. And I went out and I observed other sports and I just spoke to other coaches and all of a sudden you get an insight into their world. And, you know, the cricketing world is very different to football and, you know, rugby league who I went very different, you know, volleyball, incredibly different. And you're like, wow, like some of the things that I'm probably whinging about, I shouldn't be whinging about here. And, I love the way that you use a lack of resource in this area, but you make it 10 times better than what I've made it. Despite the fact that I've got an abundance of space, cones, football, you've done a better job. I need to really think about this now. And maybe that's the way coaches are having to go. The problem is, is that with all the good graces in the world, good mentors are one, often hard to find. And two, they're often extremely busy. (laughs) So the, you know, the types of support, that you are maybe wanting as a coach, you might not get because of people's time and of people's own space and people's own journeys. So it's really difficult, you know, to kind of integrate 
further learning outside effectively by yourself um and i have you know a lot of empathy for those coaches because at times i do feel that we leave we leave them out in the dark a little bit and and i'd love to kind of obviously support coaches as best as i can you know in that space uh, for what i what i can offer or what if i have anything to offer um but yeah it, it's really tough david i won't lie I, I just think those two things around developing learning critical learning you know learning about themselves as much as anything is imperative when, when, when coaching, to be honest. How can we actively contribute to shape and improving, if you like, mentoring? How do we shape and contribute towards improving and developing coach educational systems? You've alluded yeah. to an experience being around other sports, mm. which is, which is e excellent. Delve in a little bit deeper, share with because I'm curious around what you did find out about other sports and how though how their coach educational systems can actually contribute to our own. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I was very lucky and I, and I I genuinely just reached out via Twitter to to people that you know you you follow and and I well Twitter X whatever it's called now. Um people that I follow because, you know, you might see a really engaging tweet and you go, do you know what? That that person comes across as a really nice person and just putting initial messages out there to say, you know, I'd love to come and watch you work if that's okay. And if you need me to go in the same way that you start coaching football, right? If you need me to go and pick up cones or you need me to go and get that cricket ball that they've just smashed for a six, I'll, I'll run and get it for you. Um, and it's just, just having those, I guess, informal conversations and sitting back and observing and, I've tried to develop my my observation skills to try and understand what's going on rather than to just respond and go, oh, I could use that. Have a genuine period of just silent observation to go, I love what they're doing because not then I'll, I'll do it. And then maybe just Q&A them on, you know, I love what you did here. What was your thought process behind that? And, you know, if I take cricket as an example, cricket obviously as a game is an incredibly long in terms of time duration sport you know even the one day is you it's a it's a day and so the coaches when i was speaking to them are very very big on you know psychological traits around concentration you know if you're a batter and you're in for two three hours at a time how do you maintain that that level of concentration for that amount of time and i'll be honest i couldn't even fathom it you know i couldn't fathom having to be concentrated for half a day standing in the middle of the crease you know, having to kind of recognize the bowlers run up their their hand position of the ball to make sure you're making contact, looking at how the field is being rearranged. And I'll be honest, even David, my head went like that. I'm just like, I, I don't know how they do it. So I was really taken back by how they approached it and how they spoke to them and the individualized nature of when they're working with the batters, just how they connect with them and how they speak to them um the different types of practice design and you know what we call kind of skill practices and what they call skill practices are slightly different uh but they all do kind of you know what we might associate as being small-sided games for example and it was the same with you know when i went to you know uh, watch observe uh, volleyball and you know the nature and the impact of the sport the physical demands of that sport are phenomenal you know you're spending half the time up in the air um, you know, I jumped three times and my, my calves are finished. So, you know, managing that physical expectation while, you know, something that 
I guess volleyball is more repetitive in terms of set plays, spikes. You want it to tee up things in, in, in a certain way. So to work that in terms of repetition while managing physical loading, while giving nuggets of information because you want them back in, I, I just took little bits from everything to go, yeah, maybe I need to do that a little bit more. And and I, I guess it enhanced my understanding of the personal nature of coaching as well. Um, I think it's really difficult and we can often get lost in football because, you know, it's a we, we look at it as more of a squad game. And, you know, we're in charge of quite a lot of, you know, kids and people at times. And sometimes the individuals can slip through. Um, and it maybe reorientated me and my understanding to just make sure I'm touching base with individuals all the time. Because you just never know when an arm around or a high five might just make their day or actually might give them the confidence to go and try something again. Um, so it was unbelievable, you know, and, and, it, and that just came from asking, can I? And some people said yes, and some people said no. You know, you've, it's not all great. People aren't going to turn around and go, yeah, of course you can. Some people are like, unfortunately not. You know, we've got this, and actually we're going to be really busy. I can't give you my time. And you've got to be really understanding of that. You know, you've got to appreciate that that, that people are busy. So I, I think that's, I guess, one of the, yeah, the main elements of that experience. In terms of the coach education, I'll be honest and say that there's not too much difference from, again, from my reading in different sports. You know, if I think specifically at level one and level two, they're all around the same timeframes. And the reason why they're around the same timeframes, for example, is because of the allocation of funding through Sport England or DCMS and government um, that are, is obviously allocated higher up the, the, the hierarchy within organizations. And a lot of people are given you know, the same types of constraints. Course designers are given the same time constraints. So you'll often find that a lot of level ones, certainly in the last kind of five or six years, have moved to online because they are trying to save money because they are wanting to, you know, get them through because ultimately it's outcome driven at that level. How many can we get? And that's a problem. That's a parameter that everybody's suffering with. Not It's not just football. You know, there are one day courses and you finish it in six hours and you get a certificate and you go, brilliant. Okay. So it's a really hard thing to develop coaching systems. I think it's more who can we engage in, in terms of really good coaches in other sports and bring them in. Um, uh, and yeah, this, I guess this cross boundary approach, how do, how, what can a rugby league coach give to football? Loads, in my opinion. You know, what can a cricket coach come in and give football coaches? Plenty. But are you willing as a coach to engage in that world? It might only be for a short time just to speak to different people. And I think by by doing that, it just opens your eyes, maybe only a little, but it might be enough to see something slightly different to get you to think slightly different. And that's what I think coach education has always been about. I would like to think that it just opens your eyes to certain ideas and concepts um, while also being able to network. And I don't see why that has to be any different. I don't think, you know, these coach education courses are very, very episodic in nature. They're very short episodes in our, in our journeys and in our lives. So how can we make them, you know, broad? How can we make them impactful? How can we give people on the, those courses the time and space to just explore? Because ultimately, that's what they're going to go and do away from the course or what they I would encourage them to do. Not everybody has that time to do that, by the way. And that doesn't make them bad people. That just makes them really busy. So how can the 
coaching community and educational institutions collaborate to drive positive change and create a better educational system for coaches? Another easy question there, David. Thank you. Full of them today. <laughs> um, yeah, listen, I, I think something that if I think about what you know we can do in academia now and I would love to see universities, and they and they do, by the way. I would just like it, I guess, to be celebrated more or done even more. I would love universities to open themselves up to offering coaches CPD. Uh, I, there's an institution in the Northwest that's actually running a free CPD for uh, participatory coaches um, this month uh, as a full day and just getting them to think about what they do, how they coach. And it's very broad. It's under the umbrella of sport coaching, so it's not a particular sport. And I think universities could do could do that. Uh, you know, they're equipped with some of the best people, you know, in, in the industry, in terms of academic industry, um, as well as, you know, a lot of people that are, you know, work across both academia and their, their specific sport. And I, I'd love to be part of something like that to go, look, let's get a load of coaches in. The, the difficulty is that, I guess that time and space, right? That you'd love them to come in on a Wednesday morning, you know, nine till two, but unfortunately a lot of people work. So you've got those constraints and boundaries, but I'm sure there's something in the future that can be offered more from that perspective from universities. And I'd, and I'd love to kind of be part of that and and engage with that because I think it's giving back to a lot of coaches that maybe, you know, aren't doing degrees, you know, they, they, they've done their degrees in other areas, law, business, whatever they've done them in. They're, they're family people, but they maybe just want a little bit of help. Um, I think that'll be one. I also think on the flip side, and I think it has happened as well, certainly, you know, over the last kind of five, 10 years, that coaches have become a lot more receptive to academic literature, certain academic literature. And I think that's the responsibility of both academics to write in a way that is engaging and not just filled with really complicated words that nobody understands. Um, I say that because I can't write, <laughs> you know, I don't know many big words. So, um, but write it in, in a way that is accessible for them to understand and, and kind of get a bit of an insight and to make themselves as authors, maybe of these papers available and maybe write it as a blog or go on a podcast or do a short video just to say, look, we did this research. Basically what this means is X. And again, there are wonderful academics that do that. I just think it maybe needs to become more prevalent. I think it needs to be celebrated a lot more. Um, to just kind of give back in that sense. So it's kind of, I guess, following on from that CPD, but that actually let's engage in a little bit of literature. Um, and I also think, I guess, because of that, because there's, there's, there's this often theoretical and practical divide, right? There's often this, this, this practitioner and, or theoretical practitioner gap. But ultimately, we're always typically going after the same thing. We, we want to improve coaching. And we want to improve coaching because we want to improve what the what these little people have in the time that they have it. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. I think we need to be reminded that actually we're all on the same boat here. You know, we're all kind of rowing the same way. It's just that we're rowing from the left and you're rowing from the right. Actually, let's just come and sit closer together. Um, and again, there are people that are doing some good stuff in that. I just think we need to do more of it. I think, you know, we, it would be wonderful to see more coaches coming in from industry into academic spaces to say, do you know what, I engaged in this and I, I understood this paper really well and I know you've read it because, but on the flip side, I actually think you need to know a little bit about this in industry and this is what it means in grassroots or this is what it means in academy settings in football or in the pro game, this is what it means. So you can read the theory, that's fine, but actually you'll probably get told to do one because 
and and it's it's merging that never i guess i don't think it's ever going to be closed because there are some i guess theoretical concepts that are just that they are theoretical musings they're they're ideas that people sit back and, and just think about that might not be applied but it might add to the, the the knowledge and the understanding of why we do what we do other things will be closer to practice where we can say no look this paper or this article has a real influence on maybe how you approach practice design or how you approach communication with parents um and i think we just need to make sure that we're all we're all wanting the same thing ultimately here yeah, I hope that that comes across a little bit more over uh, in the future, I guess. Well, for the, the listeners, in 2015, you actually authored a book. And <laughs> uh, I think it'd be remiss of us not to mention the title of that book, because the, the proceeds go to, to your children. Yeah. And that's called Youth Soccer Development, Progressing the Person to Improve the Player. Now... There's been lots of developments in 2015, that's for sure. Uh, you yeah. speak about literature and being able to write. I was fortunate to have to have read that book. And lots of similarities now from reading the book when I got it and where you are currently. And that is you have a, an affinity and a passion to to want to serve. Now, when I share that, it's not to serve and can you give me a tenner? It's you do things for the right reasons because of the sincerity and just the type of person that you are. So I implore all listeners, anyone, just reach out and you can buy that book on Amazon. There may be other platforms. I'm sure that it may be acquired, but that's certainly an interesting read. So, look, final question for you, my friend. Another simple question. If you had to write a survival guide for a modern coach, what essential components would you include in the guide? Yeah, easy one to finish. Um, I, I think my, my number one, uh, and again, it, I'm sorry if it comes across as quite repetitive, it's it's my, my top, top one all the time now is go and learn about the players that you have in your care. You know, because ultimately these are these are people, these are little people, and they have their their little worlds. And I've said it previously, and and I always reiterate it because of the experiences that I've had with certain players and some of the really good stuff that they go through, and some of the not so good stuff that they go through in their worlds and in their lives. That we as coaches might offer the best hour, hour and a half in their week, and I've never got away from that that understanding and that that realization that that might be true for some of them. So go and get to know the little people, you know, go and speak to them. And that includes the parents and the guardians, by the way, you know, and I'm not saying that you have to become best mates, you know, but you do have to know who they are as little people, what engages them, what frightens them, you know, because that's ultimately going to impact how you communicate with them, you know, how you look after them in the time that they are with you um, and what you can offer to the parents, you know, sometimes. And recent experiences certainly come to mind is that, Sometimes a parent might need an arm around the shoulder as well because they might be struggling. And that arm around the shoulder might just put them in a in a much better mood and they might put their arm around their kid that they might have unintentionally, because they're going through their own stuff, just forgot. And that arm around that kid's shoulder from their mum or their dad or their auntie or whatever it may be might contribute to them smiling a little bit more. 
Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, and I guess that kind of goes in number one and number two is that, that getting to know an involved player. And then the second part is involve the parents and, and involve the parents in that stuff, but also involve the parents in understanding the standards and the expectations that you bring to your sessions and to your games, you know, program and what you're expecting of them as people and what they should be expecting of me uh, or you as a coach and what we expect from the players during that time. So having that clear, not necessarily, I guess, codes of conduct, because that can become quite regimented, but just kind of speaking openly and, you know, honestly about, you know, this is how I'm going to try and help. And in order for me to do that, I need you to help me in this way. And hopefully collectively together, we can help, you know, your little person in this space. So that's a big one. And I think that the, the third thing for me around it is humility now. You know, we're filled with a world of information, inundated with information. And it, it scares me a little bit because I think it gives people the idea that they know a lot. And that's quite scary. Um, and I... And I'd love people to be, and I say this because of my own experiences, by the way, you know, I've made those mistakes and I've made those errors thinking that I know a lot more than I do. And I don't know a lot about a lot now. And it's having that humility to recognize that. And that when something's going wrong, it might just be because of you. And, you know, the amount of times that I've had to step back and go, yeah, no, that's, that's on me. That that's my fault. And let them, and let the parents know and let the pet players know, and, and that's, you know, that's quite daunting at times. Certainly if you're, I guess, a novice coach, because opening yourself up to be quite vulnerable in that space is can be quite difficult because you might feel that you may lose, you know, some form of credibility. Personally, I think it enhances it as long as you've had those previous conversations to say these are the expectations, these are the standards, these are the things that I do know, these are the things that I probably don't know because it gives people an idea of who you are. And once you have that, you can you that that level of humility just allows you to be yourself and i think you have to be yourself in the modern age and, you know that uniqueness about who you are as a coach and who you are as a person is a big selling point you know as long as you're just trying to be a good person so i would hope that those three things in particular should form the basis of what then contributes to you being a good coach in the future because we're all bad coaches when we start by the way I was awful I'm just a little bit less awful now <laughs> that's that's it no if the, any listener wants to reach out to you yeah how can you be contactable yeah no I'm I'm happy for people to touch base with me um I have a, a Twitter um I don't know what it is but if you just type in Noel Dempsey it will come up <laughs> I hope. Um, LinkedIn as well, same if you just type my name in. Uh, and, and my university email, you know, I'm quite active on my uni emails and that's just n.dempsey at ucfb.ac.uk. So yeah, people can drop me an email and I'll do my best to to respond in a in a suitable time frame <laughs> um, for sure. But yeah, happy to, you know, for feedback and critical conversations and what they liked and didn't like. I'm I'm quite open and chilled about you know how people react to how i speak and what i speak about um i'm not always this nice by the way uh keith we know this so <laughs> i can be quite blunt at times but yeah no no i'm happy to engage with people you and i met many years ago i don't know what year i don't do years now but i 
I do concur. You're very direct, and uh, but but in a nice way. And when we did first meet, there was something about you that I did particularly like, and that is your purity and the honesty. And so, and it's come across that very, very, very evident that you know you're just genuinely good guy. I, I can honestly say I can call you a friend meaningful as well because you do care about people in so so many ways so look on behalf of myself and david and the listeners thanks ever so much for creating as you put it space to be with us this afternoon and uh i'm sure the listeners will take many lessons and many good uh gold nuggets from this particular episode so thanks again now no keith David, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And yeah, no, good friends, good friends, critical conversation. So I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated. And it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.